The Aquarius Project, Chapter 3. What is easy, though? When I was in high school, I got a job in a restaurant, bussing tables. It was my first job. I was 15. To a beginner, a busy restaurant looks like chaos. Crowds form at the hostess Doors stand. swing open and shut. Tables shoved together. Silverware clatters. Coffees phones ring. Drinks are poured. Orders are dinner taken. served. Side tips slipped into pockets and high-fived into outstretched hands. It feels like chaos, too. At least at first. You pause mid-stride to avoid slipping on a lemon wedge somebody dropped, and behind you, someone shouts, Behind! So you hop over the lemon wedge and press yourself against a wall and turn your head just in time to avoid being hit full in the face by a plate jutting off the edge of a big black tray. If you're lucky, the rim of the plate grazes your cheek. If it's not this tray, it will be the next one, or the next. And if it's not a tray, it's a broken glass or a leaky trash bag. Before long, you will spill red wine on a white shirt, or call a woman sir, or scald your hand on a hot plate, because that's how you learn. Everyone has a story like this. Once upon a time, everyone was the new kid. You, me, Chris Bresky. This is terrible and I am bad at it. Oh my gosh, this is the worst. If you've listened to the first two episodes of this podcast, and if you haven't, why did you start on episode three? Go back and listen to the rest. You know that Chris is the leader of the Aquarius Project, the Adler Planetarium's underwater meteorite hunt. Chris is pretty good at wrangling people, especially teenagers. But he wasn't always. As a young actor in Philadelphia, Chris got his first classroom gig teaching drama skills in a local school. Just coming into a school uh, made me anxious. If you're under the age of 18, you are deeply familiar with the feelings that came up for Chris when he stepped into that school for the first time. Approaching the door, there's a smell. All your sense memories start to kick in and the anxiety of being a 10-year-old. Because to be a kid is to be pushed a million times a day into situations you are not prepared for. Write an essay, ride a bike, Get a job, take gym, take art. Try not to ruin your social life by wearing the wrong thing or posting something stupid somewhere. Pretend to be comfortable in the fresh daily disaster that is your own body and whatever you do, don't embarrass yourself. This is terrible and I am bad at it. Oh my gosh, this is the worst. When Chris stepped into that classroom, he was carrying all the leftover anxiety of being a kid in a school and all the shiny new anxiety of being an adult in a school, a person who is supposed to be in charge. There was no teacher training program, just a lesson plan. Not an authoritative foolproof instruction manual for being a teacher, just one person's idea for how to teach one thing. Chris was so nervous that he followed it to the letter, even when it was clearly not working. Even if things were just completely off the tracks and the class was mayhem, I'd be like, no, no, good teacher would stick to what's going on in point A and the outline number two, C. Okay, now we're going to take out, oh, oh, worksheets. Okay, great. No one's in their desks, but I'm going to hand out worksheets now because that seems like a good way to to, to wrangle everyone. Um, so that was both terrifying uh, before and during. When you see Chris working with kids now, it's hard to believe he was ever that stiff, sweaty, and terrified at the head of the class. But he was. He wasn't just being hard on himself. He genuinely did not know what he was doing. But he fought through the terror. 
and learn from his mistakes. I started being more of myself, I guess. I started being more attuned to them. I started listening more. I started asking them questions. I started making it a dialogue and I would encourage them to perform and then, you know, initially make a fool of myself and make them feel like it was okay to make a fool of themselves, um, fail big and in public, and then they would sort of follow suit. He learned to stop pretending to be someone he wasn't, a buttoned-up, tie-wearing, very serious authority figure, and let his actual personality shine through. Leaning into it and allowing it to be an asset as opposed to a detriment or something to hide really made it made it work. These days, Chris's classroom is the project space, a multi-purpose room tucked away in the staff area in the basement of the Adler. It has bright green and blue walls, long tables, and shelves crammed with supplies. If you open a cabinet, a bag of rocks, a bunch of wires, and a jar of peanut butter might tumble out. On any given Saturday, you'll probably find people sketching diagrams on giant sheets of sticky paper, then sticking their work to the wall. Beginner Chris fought desperately against the chaos that can overtake a room full of students. But seasoned professional Chris, he rides that chaos like a wave. Kids lob questions at him from every direction, and he answers some of them. He might tell you where the batteries are, but He's not going to Google anything for you. Sometimes I use sarcasm. I was like, oh, man, if I only had, and this is just me speaking, if I only had, like, a massive database at my fingertips um, of, like, information that the world provides, oh, well, guess we're out of luck. <laughs> you know, something really loving like that. As long as everyone is looking through a microscope, tinkering with a circuit board, or duct taping something to something else, he's happy. But one thing he still can't tolerate is boredom. His own or anyone else's. One day last fall, Chris spotted a kid who wasn't paying attention. Eyes down, pencil in constant motion, a doodler. I just circled back a couple times and Carmen was obviously bored out of their mind. Um, he saw me drawing these cartoon photos of dragons on tricycles when I should have been watching a video about coding. Quick usage note, Carmen prefers the pronouns they and them. I am Carmen Jones. I am a junior at Lane Tech High School and I am 16 years old. Carmen had just started coming to Stratonauts, one of the Adler teen programs that Chris works on. The Stratonauts meet every Saturday in the fall and winter, and they work with scientists and engineers in an Adler program called Far Horizons. Far Horizons sends science experiments to the stratosphere on those big white weather balloons people used to mistake for alien spaceships. And on top of their experiments at the edge of space, this batch of stratonauts was also exploring the depths of Lake Michigan, hoping to rescue a meteorite from the lake bottom. Some days, the stratonauts are out in the field, literally mostly cornfields, chasing weather balloons. But that day, everyone was sitting in their seats watching a video about computer programming. Well, most of them are watching it. Carmen was drawing pictures of dragons on tricycles. That instinct to combine familiar things in surprising ways, a giant fire-breathing monster on those tiny little wheels, is one of Carmen's superpowers. They've been doing it their whole life. 
as soon as she started preschool. That's Felicia, Carmen's mom. Carmen, can you please stop drawing and pay attention to my lesson? She's tinkering in her desk. Not many teachers offer like, oh, you can do this instead if you're bored. It's usually just pay attention. But then when they would go to ask her a question, pay attention. She knew the answers. Carmen never stopped tinkering. In school, out of school, wherever there were raw materials, Carmen tinkered. I saw that constantly. It's always some new. They have something in my house. A hand puppet that looks like Godzilla, except it has really big screws and nuts and bolts and these random pieces that she would pick up wherever she would find. I built a wax boat, but then she'd make something out of it. Out of pencil lead. And the wax that you find out of baby boats, you just took a bunch of pencil leads, stuck it to the wax, and made a boat. Over the course of like two months, it's a lot of weird things. Carmen did not sign up for Stratonauts to listen to a guy talk about coding for an hour. Actually, Carmen didn't sign up for Stratonauts at all. Felicia did. I have a tendency to be at work and find all these fantastic activities, sign the kids up, and get home and say, hey, I signed you up for something. Ma, please stop signing me up for stuff. <laughs> Talk about a mad kid. <laughs> Carmen was not happy. It's all my Saturdays. I want to sleep She's in. Like, every Saturday for three Even months. Even I don't do anything on Saturdays, that's I what say, I like Carmen, to do. You don't do anything on Saturdays now. <laughs> Carmen wasn't especially interested in science or math, or space. And they were a little worried about what kind of weirdos might be. Who would want to spend every Saturday with a bunch of nerds? I mean, I would. But Carmen was pleasantly surprised to find a nice, normal group of kids, some of whom were also nerds, in Stratonauts. I instantly was like, oh, wait, I'm actually going to enjoy this. It's not going to be a drag every single Saturday. So just regular, fun kids that want to have a good time. Kids who also didn't know how to code. Like Jack. I'd tried to learn a few years earlier and had spectacularly failed. And Jared. Oh, no, I haven't done any coding before this. <laughs> Jack, Jared, and Carmen are just a few of the hundred or so kids who've worked on the Aquarius Project. In the year since they started, they've teamed up with kids from all over the city and suburbs who came to the project through teen programs at the Field Museum and Shedd Aquarium. Every single one of those kids came in with a slightly different level of interest and set of skills. But no matter where they were when they came in, they found something to become experts in. They learned how to code because somebody had to program the sensors to talk to the computers. They learned how to whip up a batch of fake meteorites to use in test runs. And they learned the very important lesson that you have to cover those fake meteorites in bright neon paint to keep them from blending in with the rocks on 12th Street Beach. They learned how to talk shop with PhD scientists and countless other skills. They've come so far since the project started, back when everything was new and confusing, and nobody knew quite what to do. One day, for whatever reason, this thing isn't working, and then the next day, it is, and I'm not quite sure why things weren't working correctly. I think most of my problems are just like me. Like, I don't know what to do with this. Chris, what should I do? And then he gives me like a super simple like fix, and I'm just like, I probably should have thought of that, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so that day last fall, when Chris saw Carmen's mind slipping away into the land of tricycle dragons, he knew he had to help. I just circled back a couple times, and Carmen was obviously bored out of their mind, just frustrated and, and disengaged. Chris needed somebody to design a sensor holder to attach to that sled we talked about a couple episodes ago. The one the team was going to drag across the bottom of the lake in hopes of snagging a meteorite. We'll tell you all about the origins and construction of that sled next time on the podcast. But for now, you just need to remember that it's covered in little instruments like magnet wheels and brushes. And these little steel cages, I swear, are called nut wizards.
One of the drawbacks, or advantages, of trying to build a device to drag a meteorite out of 200 feet of water when nobody's ever done that before is you're going to need parts you can't order on the internet because they don't exist. You have to make them yourself. It helps to have a 3D printer, but then you also need somebody who knows how to use a 3D design program, like Tinkercad, to tell your printer what to print. Chris made a quick calculation. Carmen is bored. Carmen likes to draw. Maybe Carmen would like 3D design? So Chris shuffled them into the Far Horizons lab, next door to the project space. And I showed them the 3D printer and showed them Tinkercad, and their eyes lit up. And they started tinkering Im immediately, knowing that there was a, uh, an outcome that they could create physically, and that fascinated them. And, um, and we went from there. Maybe that's how Chris remembers it. From Carmen's perspective, there was a lot more flailing and nervous laughter. I didn't know what I was doing, so I was just making random shapes, and I was like, haha, look, this is cool. You don't have to imagine how Carmen was feeling. You can look up Tinkercad right now and try to build a brand new piece of scientific equipment from scratch. Stare down that blank floating grid and see if you don't break out in a cold sweat. But how you feel in a situation like this is less important than what you do. Um, I kind of pretended like everything was okay, and I kind of just went with the confusion until it started working. Once they stopped pretending they knew what to do, Carmen realized they loved working in Tinkercad. They had their share of setbacks, like shapes that didn't quite fit, and giant holes that appeared seemingly out of nowhere when they 3D printed their work. But they kept going, and eventually, they started to get the hang of it. Everything clicked on at once, and I was like, oh, this is actually going to be really fun. It's going to be a good experience. When you've been muddling through the fog of not knowing how to do something, it feels so good to finally get it. But newly acquired confidence is the most fragile kind. And even when you know you're getting good, it doesn't take much to make you doubt yourself again. Even something as minor and routine as a big brother giving you a hard time can get inside your head. My brother said, oh, so they're just having you do busy work. This isn't really going to go underwater, is it? And I was like, oh, no, because I really hadn't thought that they would just put me on something and then not use it. So I like went up to Chris the next day and I was like, Chris, is this actually going to like go somewhere? And he was like, yeah, why do you ask? <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot that you believed him. I, wow. Yeah. You second guessed. Wow. In a decisive victory for younger siblings everywhere, Carmen's sensor holder did go underwater. Last spring, a bunch of Aquarius Project kids piled onto a National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration boat called the Storm off the coast of Wisconsin with a bunch of equipment to test. Jack designed the sensors Carmen's design was trying to keep dry. One was a pressure sensor, and the other... It was a light sensor. It would be sent down to the bottom of Lake Michigan, and it would detect how many photons of red, green, and blue wavelengths hit it, and that could give us a, an idea of how much light there was down at the bottom of the lake. And it worked. They wired up Jack's sensors, popped them into Carmen's sensor holder, slid the whole thing into a plastic tube designed by another stratonaut named Giovanna, sealed it up with a bunch of duct tape, tied a rope to it, and threw it in the water, where it dragged behind the boat for a while. And I am pleased to report that when they pulled it back onto the boat, the sensors were functional and dry. And a laptop would be able to read the sensor data, thanks to the code that stratonauts like Jared and Greta and Beverly wrote. 
The team also tested the sled and an ROV that day, and they ran a test to see if a magnetometer might help them find bits of our meteor later on. We made, like, fake meteorites, I guess you could say, with, like, I don't know, concrete and little bits of iron and, like, metal. And we threw them in the lake and tried to pick them up with a magnetometer to see if we could get any readings, and we did. Yeah, it was... I've never seen people cheer more loudly at just a tiny little spike on a graph. Um, <laughs> but it was, it, was a, it was a great moment. It is so easy to look back on a challenging experience and mythologize it, to convince yourself that your success was inevitable, that the universe itself conspired to lift you up, or that you knew your efforts were doomed from the start. But when you're in the middle of something, testing your abilities and frantically trying to acquire new ones, it's never like that. Some things work, some don't. You grind. You feel stupid. You do something right, then you get stuck. And the worst part is, you have no idea how it's going to turn out. Maybe you'll unstick yourself and eventually crush it, or maybe you'll stay stuck forever. It's frustrating. Definitely with Jack. You just, oh, yeah. Every <laughs> yeah. once in a while, I'll see Jack, and he just has his head in his hands. Yeah. And, like, he's, like, shaking his head a little bit. I'm like, are you okay, Jack? And he, like, doesn't respond. I think, so I'm like, Ooh. I'm pretty sure there's a dent in the table from where I've smashed my <laughs> fist into it. <laughs> I think Jack gets frustrated enough for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. <laughs> Thank you. None of these kids know if their hard work will actually bring a submerged space rock up to the surface of Lake Michigan. But they do know how to fight through the fear of messing everything up and the frustration of not knowing. When you try and fail a million times a day, no single failure is that big of a deal. And the only way to get to those moments of triumph, to get a boat full of people to scream and applaud at a little spike on a graph, is straight through everything that goes wrong. I mean, looking back on it, I, I get frustrated pretty much every day. But um, looking back on it, it's like this isn't—it's I'm not—it's not like anything is going wrong. There aren't massive failures. It's just sort of uh, there's a lot of resistance, just trying to get things to work. But they almost always do work out in the end. Yeah, it's just not easy. Yeah, what is easy though? Then again, wow, Jared, Ooh. you guys <laughs> like that? <laughs> Next time on The Aquarius Project, a former sushi chef builds a scientific instrument out of cutting boards and other stories of DIY engineering. If this episode made you desperately want to get involved with teen programs at The Adler or sign your kid up for something, you can get more info about all the great programs we offer, everything from after-school hangouts to paid internships, on the Teen Opportunities page at adlerplanetarium.org. The Aquarius Project is a production of the Adler Planetarium with music by Audio Network. It was written by me, Aubrey Henready, and produced by Aaron Cahoe. Our logo was designed by Orilla Fetro. Special thanks to Carmen Jones, Felicia Jones, Jared Skills, Jack Morgan, and Chris Bresky. Also, if you see Megan McCabe, Giovanna Rossi, Daniel Glazer, April Carreño, Marwan Shamsuddin, Carolina Guerrero, Carmen Moy, Noah Choi, Spencer Darwall, or any of the other teens who have brought their whole selves to the Aquarius Project, please tell them they're great and we're so proud of the work they've done. 
Follow the Adler Planetarium on Twitter and Instagram at Adler Planet or on Facebook at Adler Planetarium. Visit our website at adlerplanetarium.org. What is easy though? Then again, wow, oh, you guys like that? <laughs> I think we're I think we're getting a bit too philosophical. You just you just heard like that. you just like your own you heard your I own just, truth bomb through yeah. your headphones and you're like, wait a minute, yeah, that was like, there it is, <laughs> right there.